Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Andrea Riley Mukovitz about cultural rhetorics, indigenous rhetorics, writing as healing and resistance, decolonial theory, relationality, and tribal colleges and universities. Andrea Riley Mukovitz is an assistant professor in the Integrative, Religious, and Intercultural Studies Department at Grand Valley State University. Andrea is devoted to creating cultural rhetorics models of scholarly practice that make visible the rhetorical traditions of indigenous worldviews, histories, and traditions. Andrea teaches courses related to collaborative communication, the relationship between story, lived experience, and identity, intercultural communication, and indigenous environmental justice. Andrea's scholarship has been published in Enculturation, a journal of rhetoric, writing, and culture, studies in American Indian literature, college composition and communication, and composition studies. Her book, You Better Go See Jerry, An Odawa Elder's Life of Resilience and Recovery, was published by Oregon State University. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us. Your teaching draws on cultural rhetorics and theorizes non-Western and indigenous knowledge-making practices. Can you talk about your approach to teaching and how you center indigenous knowledge-making practices and indigenous rhetorics in the writing classroom? Yeah, absolutely. And um, miigwech so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk with you today. So I'm not in an English or a writing department. I'm actually in an interdisciplinary department that has an integrative studies and a religious studies and an intercultural studies like certificate and degrees. So it changed a lot of how I teach writing and think about it. For me, how I tend to begin a lot of my writing classes or how I teach writing in these classes that are not writing classes, for example, is I begin with Lee Miracle's essay on oratory. I've cited quite a bit in my scholarship, and I love this essay because for me, it provides this framework that talks about this hierarchy between theory, history, and story. And I want to have a conversation with my students about the role of power, knowledge making, colonialism, because in my experience, a lot of times students have this belief or understanding that they have to write or perform an academic language. And that is not an expectation in my classroom. And I want to begin by talking about our beliefs and how we've been trained and how that stems from colonialism. And that Lee Miracle essay helps me guide us through that conversation. And what I like also about that essay is that she talks about the role of writing as healing, reclaiming culture, resistance, and ceremony. And so I invite students in classes to think about their purposes in those kinds of ways. What does it look like for a student of any background to practice resistance or healing in writing? Because I think that we all carry some sort of pain that might come from being in a writing classroom. And I want to acknowledge that first. And so a lot of times I take on this anti-role in the classroom. And I say that in a way that's 
framed in this indigenous community perspective where the auntie is someone of a certain age who provides guidance and mentorship and is committed to nurturing and educating, you know, young people when the elders and the parents can't be there. And the auntie is someone who shares their success and failures. So I come to my students as a writer. I come to them as a storyteller and I share my experiences of success, of failure, of purpose, and show them my own writing and research practice and use it not just as a model, but as an invitation to talk about, you know, what is it, what does it look like to be a writer teaching writing and asking students to write? And so that three C's article on snakes that I just that just came out, for me, that is a good example of what a lot of the prompts in my classrooms look like when I ask students to do land-based methods. So a lot of asking them to think about what it means to learn from the land and how to build a relationship with it. And that relationship isn't an easy one or a pretty one. And I like that because it becomes a space to practice critical reflection incorporating historical context, thinking about space and place and bodies as a framework. And then lastly, the other way I would describe those indigenous values in the writing classroom for me is through consent. So thinking about consent as a guiding principle, and I've changed a lot of my classrooms to where I invite students to consent to how and what I teach. And I pair that alongside resistance. And so if students don't want to do something in the classroom, if it hurts them too much, if they don't have the space for it, we talk about that. And then we modify that assignment or we come up with another option. Do you mind sharing and talking about an assignment prompt that invites this writing as healing and writing as resistance practice and approach. Yeah, so I teach this course called Life Journeys, which it's such a funny name for a course, but this is very much what it means to be in this like liberal studies department, you know? Um, And so in that course, I have a major research paper where um, I ask students to practice story as methodology. And um, we're reading memoirs all semester. And um, so I have students have a couple different options. So one is they do something that's similar to Deborah Miranda's Bad Indians, where they tell a family history and they take the time to work through artifacts, materials, you know, things like that. And the goal there is that they don't have to tell a tidy history, they don't have to tell a positive story, right? But it's about understanding their relationship to the world, understanding their relationship to the family as a way to then think about who they want to be, right, in the future. I've seen a lot of these moments where it looks like healing or coming to terms or understanding. And in West Michigan, that is such an important um, moment for students because in this space, there's a lot of tension politically or with religious practice. And students don't get that opportunity to look critically at their own family and think critically about their relationship to that family and what was taught to them and then how they want to move forward. And then with resistance, 
this has looked like a lot of different things in my classroom. And so, you know, right now I'm having students write a statement of relational practice. I'm teaching a course called Anishinaabek Lifeways. And so um, I have this question next to you. And so I ask the question, what does it mean to be the arms of an institution and invested in indigenous cultural continuance and sovereignty? And so to me, that's a way that I want them to think about their complicity that we all have in academia, but also how within academia, how can we use resources or intervene or disrupt the colonial project that's in there? And those are some really cool essays that they that they provide. Andrea, you mentioned colonialism and decolonialism, and I feel like your work is connected to these ideas, maybe you could provide a brief definition of decolonial theory and, and the key tenets and practices of centering decolonialism. Maybe you could share a, a another project or two that complements this approach to teaching writing. Um, I've been thinking, so for me, a lot of it's around indigenous cultural continuance and sovereignty. It's centering indigenous worldviews and belief systems. And it's the lo- the role of land repatriation that's central to all this. So I love all the decolonial theory that is very much about de-linking de- from like the colonial matrix of power or, you know, trying to, you know, make space or reimagine the university in this like non-Western kind of project. Um, for me, more and more, I've been moving towards indigenizing instead of decolonial because I want to emphasize and insist that to talk about decoloniality is to talk about indigenous people's lives. And I feel like more and more, sometimes we get away from that conversation. So in my classes and my work, this notion of land repatriation this emphasis on sovereignty, this talk of what does it look like to engage in settler harm reduction, um, or what does it look like to center our worldviews in like different kinds of personal or professional spaces are all a consistent um, component to my classrooms and conversations with students. And so I teach this one course called Wicked Problems of Sustainability. It's partly an environmental studies course and partly this like, you know, integrative studies, liberal studies foundations course. Um, so one semester we ha- it's a community-based learning class. And so I have a lot of weird feelings about community-based learning and service learning already for probably obvious reasons. Um, so we worked with the West Michigan Environmental Action Council. I had a relationship with them ahead of time and they're the oldest, you know, um, environmental justice organization in West Michigan. They have a white paper and they wanted to get my feedback on how to decolonize it. I'm just like, you can't decolonize a white paper, right? And, but I thought it was such a good, a good opportunity for both WEMIAC and the students to understand just that. So WEMIAC came in all semester, they talked about their goals, their strategic action plan, and we read work around indigenous environmental justice work and environmental racism. And students gave some awesome, awesome feedback on this white paper where they just went at it. Like they were talking about, you know, 
holding WeMiac accountable to their claims and talking about moments where they have to support and work with indigenous community. They have to think about, you know, what their board looks like and recruiting indigenous voices to their board and why those voices and perspectives aren't there. And they did this presentation where they gave that feedback and they completely just surprised the director and the board because they were looking at these like 18 to 24 year old, like quote unquote kids and thinking that they weren't going to hold them accountable in this way. And, you know, from that project, they've now are, WEMIAC is now revising their strategic action plan. They've interviewed, you know, people of color and indigenous people on how to meet these goals And they're putting that into action. And that's because of this kind of course. And then another project I wanted to share is, um, you know, I was talking about this course, Anishinaabe Lifeways, and students who took that other course, Wicked Problems, they wanted to, they were mainly settler white students who realized that as environmental justice organizers, that they needed to do more. And so we have this agricultural space on campus called the Sustainable Agricultural Project. It's a lot of white farm club students who want to just do CSA work. And it's great, like they're great students. And so they decided that they wanted to practice land repatriation. So in this course, what we did was we wrote a proposal to the director of the SAP. And we um, decided that we wanted to build a teaching lodge for the Native students and Indigenous community members um, in the area. And a teaching lodge is like a wigwam. It's a sacred space um, and a medicine garden. And so there was supposed to be like a 75 by 75 plot of land where Native students and Indigenous faculty, staff, and community members can share knowledge and engage in the practices and tenets that I just talked about. And that's been a long process. It's been, you know, it's been approved. I got some funding for it. Most of those students have graduated and they're waiting to build the lodge and we got stuck in legal. And I wanna share that because I think that this is a part of what I was talking about with decoloniality and indigenous sovereignty is that in Michigan, there's a lot of concerns around affirmative action and you know, making sure that everything is equal and fair and they're not providing, you know, preference to one group or another. And the legal team almost didn't approve our teaching lodge and medicine garden because they wanted, they were so concerned about the idea of land repatriation. They were so concerned about, you know, negotiating this expectation that the native students would be in charge of this space. They were so concerned about possible vandal, um, vandalization, things like that. But to me, those are the kinds of projects that I'm doing in my class right now that reflect those tenets and those belief systems. And they've been really hard and also very exciting at the same time. You've also worked on oral history projects with multi-generational native women in your enculturation article, you talk about relationality and, and practicing relationality in your writing. What stands out to you the most from these conversations and, and how has this work shaped your teaching? Yeah, I love this question. So for me, when I look back at that, that project and those early publications, I really think that that reflects who I was as a graduate student, understanding my role in indigenous communities 
and what I wanted to say in and to our discipline about indigenous knowledges and rhetorical knowledge and traditions. So for me, what continues to stay the same is that when I think about relationality, place, contacts, and relationships are still what guide how I think about that. And so I'm in Grand Rapids and the indigenous community here is very different than it is in Lansing, even though we're only like an hour and a half away. And so I've been forming these relationships since 2017. And so my teaching here is very interesting because there is both a small, but also very large and visible indigenous community on campus and in West Michigan. So I'm teaching native students all the time in my classes and I'm teaching their siblings, their cousins. One semester I'll have a parent, the other semester I'll have their children. And so to me, this is all relational. And so I'm trying to figure out what that is teaching me and what I wanna say now to the discipline about those experiences. And I think it's very much about making indigenous space and higher ed in our profession. It's a lived experience. I'm around people who've devoted their entire lives to explaining to universities, to K through 12, that indigenous students matter, that we need better and different metrics to talk about indigenous student experiences and communities. And the projects that I mentioned before, I think that those reflect that relationality component. I'm inviting students from all different backgrounds to understand how to tend to and recognize and work in coalition for Indigenous student success and cultural growth. To me, the accountability aspect of this is what's really crucial to relationality is that it's teaching me about how I need to hold my institution accountable and how I am okay with needing to be held accountable by indigenous community members in the area. Andrea, I think this last question builds on what you're talking about in terms of holding the discipline and ourselves accountable. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the lack of representation and voices and experiences coming from teacher scholars and students within tribal colleges, uh, a lack of representation from indigenous educators and students, that this feels like a gap in our discipline and, and research. Is, is this an accurate observation? And what is this absence or silence saying and doing? And, and what future directions do you feel like the, the field can take? To, to listen and build relationships with tribal colleges and universities. Mm, I was so glad that you answered that you asked this question. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, it just feels in general that our discipline is not having these kinds of conversations or paying attention to them. And so I want to hear more from indigenous people at these tribal colleges. And I also want to hear from tribal education directors and curriculum specialists in the K through 12 system. And I feel like to me, those are interconnected. And in some ways, I think that those conversations are the ones that are occurring in relation to each other. And it's like rec comp isn't listening to those conversations. 
And so, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about this and I think it's because we're not invested in teaching indigenous students. And I think that we're not invested in indigenous faculty as well. Because I think for both, you have to be invested in indigenous communities and survival and we're not there. You know, I was somewhat critiquing how our field and I would say the larger, like larger of academia talks about decolonial fear. And I think that's because of this, right? Is that, you know, there's a lot of appropriation of indigenous concepts and, you know, discussions around decoloniality. And it's used in this way to talk about white first year writing classes, right? It's used to talk about in this way of, you know, how settlers can do better for themselves, right? As these kinds of stories, it's never going into those communities or understanding one's relationship to those communities. And so you asked about like action and things like that. And so I was, um, you know, our the Four C's has that tribal faculty fellowship. And so um, the caucus works consistently with trying to recruit people to apply for that fellowship. And it's really hard. And it's hard because it's very clear that our profession isn't set up to receive or be interested in what people from tribal colleges have to say. And even in general, thinking about our relationship or proximity to tribal colleges and how hard it is to get folks from there to come to these conferences is another issue. In the spring, um, the Diné College invited a bunch of um, scholars from our discipline, myself included, to present at an online conference called Still Sacred. And so I see them paying attention to our scholarship, our ideas, our contributions around indigenous perspectives and first year writing. And so we need to think about what our values are and how we're not representing the actual work and labor of what happens in a tribal college. So my friend Adam, he teaches at Saginaw Chippewa Tribal College, and he teaches things like how to trap muskrats and, you know, the stories of beavers. You know, again, thinking about land-based practices, right? I think that I'm a theorist and I'm going to say, I think we're too theoretical, right? And so I, I think that's, and so I'm wondering if that's even true, but I think it is. I think that we need to really rethink what we're valuing. Um, and we need to also go and, and establish those relationships with tribal colleges, offer resources, reciprocity, establish trust, show that we can make space for them in our discipline and our profession. Thanks, Andrea. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.